You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got to start with first principles on the border crisis. We've got we've got to start with baseline concepts here, uh, f- fundamental view uh, views of, of this country, what we're all about and what we're trying to accomplish and what the rule of law actually means. Because what you'll find is that we're arguing about the details in this country right now. We're arguing about the details, but we're not getting into difference in foundational separation in our political philosophy between the left and the right. There are all these people right now who think, oh, the Democrats want this crisis to stop, too. The Democrats don't actually want people coming over the border 100,000 plus a month so that they can flood the immigration system, they can claim faulty asylum, they can stay, they're sending their children, they're enriching the cartels. The Democrats don't don't want any of that, right? No, actually they do. And that's what people are just starting to see now. This is happening exactly as predicted and largely as planned. The problem that the Democrats have with all of this is that we're seeing it, and it's happening faster than they anticipated. I want to I want to explain this to you, but we got to make this very clear. This is the border crisis the Democrats want, and they still see this as a massive opportunity. And this is the kind of thing that if I keep saying this on social media, I'm sure I'll get censored. They'll probably start blocking my Twitter account, doing all the things they've already done to me about covid. Who, by the way, who is right on covid lockdowns? Uh, I was uh, the people that are citing the science. They were wrong. Do you think that the social media sites care about that, though? No, in fact, I'm on their radar. They now look to shut me down, and they're doing that to you, too. They have all your data. They see what you're saying. They see what you're up to, and they sell that, but they also use it for their own purposes. You think that your right to free speech is safe while mega corporations that are working hand in glove with the left want to try to silence you or maybe just change your mind without you even knowing it? You need to protect your privacy online. This is absolutely essential with ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN lets you anonymize much of your online presence. It hides your IP address. That makes your activity much more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. And ExpressVPN couldn't be easier to set up. I've got the app on my phone. I'm talking about 60 seconds. You got this thing good to go, and then you are protected. It encrypts 100% of your data to make sure that hackers and Internet bad guys can't get at you. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com slash buck. Go to my special link right now and you'll get an extra three months free. That's ExpressVPN extra three months of service for free. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck. Democrats want this border crisis to continue. They just want to control it better. That's what you have to understand. We're in a different place here on this issue than they are. We, we are told the way the media talks about it. We just use this word crisis. As we know, Democrats view crises as opportunities. And this is yet another one for them. What is the downside of this for them? Well, it's happening too fast and they're overwhelming the facilities. When Democrats talk about trying to fix this, what are they saying to you? Well, we've got to wait. They're telling people, don't come yet. That's the big claim. Meanwhile, much of the rest of the country is saying, hold on a second. So we have an open border right now, right? And and for anybody who says, no, we don't. If you show up right now on foot at the U.S.-Mexico border as a foreign national, you flag down Border Patrol, 
and you say, I have a credible fear of persecution in my home country. And that's really all you have to say. There's an overwhelmingly high chance that you will be processed and then released in the U.S. interior with a pending court date that you're they're never going to track you down and kick you out of the country and deport you, even if you don't show up for your hearing. It's the, the chance of that happening is probably you know less than 10, less than 5 percent. So your odds are really good. And if you if you come back with the way the Biden administration is enforcing the law right now or not enforcing it, even if you're a repeat offender for a legal crossing, you aren't you aren't penalized in any significant fashion. So we have an ongoing immigration debacle at the U.S.-Mexico border, but our political parties have two entirely different views of what makes it a problem. I mean, if you believe in American sovereignty and the rule of law, the crisis is simply that we have a de facto open border. That's over 100,000 illegal aliens a month now flooding in the United States because they know the Democrats will let them stay and want to give them amnesty. And more are coming every day. I mean, our our immigration system looks like a big joke right now. If you're the Biden White House, on the other hand, the problem at the border is there are so many illegals crossing into the U.S. that they can't be processed fast enough. Detention facilities for unaccompanied minors. I'm not talking about kids in cages here, right? Because that's only when Trump is in office. No, they're detention facilities for unaccompanied minors. Hmm. They're overflowing. The American people are figuring out what's going on here because the wave of illegal immigration is so heavy, is so extreme that it's Alinsky style overwhelming the processing of those of those uh, migrants in the United States. So that's what they view as the real problem. The Biden administration's talk about a humane immigration policy was really just a giant invitation to illegals from all over the world to game the process and skip to the front of the line. That's now a political problem for Democrats who are hoping that a coalition of leftist corporatists and GOP establishment elites are going to be able to ram through amnesty before the American people realize that the electoral map is being transformed. It's where everyone has to realize that the Biden Democrats and the rest of the country aren't on the same page. When DHS Secretary Mayorka says, do not take the journey now, give us time to build an orderly, safe way in the United States, he's giving away the game. That's the whole problem they have. They want bigger facilities, more facilities, more personnel to feed, clothe, give medicine to and give housing to an endless influx of illegal immigrants. And they're not just from Central America. They're from all over the world. If you can get to Mexico right now, you can gain entry into the United States. That's the way it works. If you can get to Mexico, you can walk into the U.S. You may be detained for a few days, but you're going to be fed and taken care of and clothed and they'll give you medical care and everything else. And then you'll be released. Often they're just releasing migrants at uh, bus stops or they just say, you know, here you go. You're on your own. But there's a court date that's going to come up in about two years. Be sure you show up at it. You think that's really going to happen? By the time that court date even comes up, what do you think the chances are that we'll have some form of amnesty in place? See, this is the fundamental problem. The Democrats aren't upset about foreigners flooding into America. They love that as long as they provide reliable votes. 
What bothers Joe Biden and his handlers is that the facilities meant to process these illegals are bursting at the seams. The optics of the overflowing detention areas are so poor that Americans are starting to say, what the heck is going on down there? What we're seeing at the government is actually a collision of uh, seeing at the border rather is a collision of fundamentally different views of America's future. Conservatives believe that immigration laws must be respected and enforced, which means stopping the flow of illegals. The Biden administration, on the other hand, has no interest in stopping illegal crossings. On the contrary, it's trying to kick the door wide open in preparation for an amnesty that will end the GOP as a political force forever. Those are the stakes here. We can all see how this is playing out. We can all see what's happening. Biden isn't trying to end the current avalanche of illegal entry. He just wants to control the flow. Don't you see? Slow it down, guys. Let's let's get let's get it down a little bit. You can still come in. You can still claim phony asylum. You can still have a giant backdoor entry into the United States. And remember, this is a program that was set up. The, the asylum program is meant for people who are truly fleeing political persecution and the possibility of death if they stay in their home countries. Is is that what we're seeing? No. Overwhelmingly, what we see are people who just want to come to America. It's better here than in their home country. They have better economic prospects and they recognize that this is an easy way to do it. All those people, and I, I know a lot of them listen to this show, right? All those legal immigrants who have joined the American family with full respect for our laws and, and are such a, a, a critical part of what makes us America, they've got to be looking at this and saying, well, I guess I could have just shown up and stayed. All those years of doing things the right way and all those years of of paying the taxes I was supposed to pay, sometimes paying immigration attorneys and going through the, you know, the naturalization process or going through first visas and then citizenship and all, all the things that come up. Or you could have just waited for a Biden administration for a Democrat left wing open borders frenzy and just showed up and said, uh, yeah, here I am. I'm going to stay. I like it better here. Now, if you as an American tried to do this in Europe, by the way, you'd be told, that's funny, uh, you're on the next plane home. Other countries are allowed to have borders. Other countries are allowed to establish sovereignty over who comes and goes. We are not. It's racist to have borders. That's, that's what we've turned into as a country. It's racist to have borders according to the left. So all these other countries all over the world are somehow not racist for enforcing their borders. But America, that's that's all it is. We take a million people a year in the United States through the legal immigration process. But if you have a problem with taking another million illegally or half a million or whatever the number is going to be this year. You're a bigot. You're a bigot. Why do we even have an immigration system? We have to ask these fundamental questions. Why have an immigration system if illegal immigration isn't a problem if assimilation isn't a real thing if merit-based immigration is a joke if all these things are just lies that the right has been telling americans for oh i don't know generations now if that's all true then why not just come out and say it democrats anybody who wants to come gets to come and you can leave when you want to leave too i wonder how that's going to work this is the america that they are setting up but they don't care what they care about is that there are many millions, and we always get into these debates about how many millions, 
many millions of illegal immigrants in the United States who are just waiting to be legalized, and they will be given the right to vote. And Democrats know that. Once they're legalized, then the next step, I'm giving them citizenship and voting rights. I'm not going to be able to stand in the way of that. Are you kidding me? That's the whole point. That's why Democrats want to do this. And Republicans sit around arguing about nonsense. Republicans think that if we can hold the marginal tax rate on individual income down two or three percent, that's a big victory. Democrats are trying to change the game. And they are an open borders party in all but name. They want any foreigner who comes into America through whatever illegal or dishonest means to stay because it solidifies their power. Wake up, America. Your country hangs in the balance. He has suspended construction of the border wall, jeopardizing our national security. He's embraced DACA. He halted most deportations. He cut domestic immigration arrests by 60 percent and dismantled the migrant protection protocols. This administration threw our existing immigration law out the window and let the world know that when it comes to illegal entry, not only will we look the other way, this administration is encouraging them to come. Senator Blackburn's right. In every way, they have made it harder to enforce immigration law. They have taken every opportunity. The Democrats, the Biden administration have made it so that the chances of access and staying through illegal means is as high as it can be without just disbanding Border Patrol, disbanding. Remember, they wanted to abolish ICE. That was the that was the rallying cry from AOC under the Trump administration. It was kids in cages, which apparently they're back in the cages and abolish ICE. But that was too honest. The, Dem the Democrats have this recurring problem where they can't tell the American people overall what they're really going to do. They give some talking points version of it that doesn't sound quite as radical. And then behind the scenes, the actual decisions they make and the policies they push are going toward the radical goal. And that's a perfect description of what Joe Biden's role in all of this is. Joe Biden is the doddering old fool who just shuffles around. I'm here to, you know, to tell you the things and, you know, and, uh, maybe I'll do a press conference in a couple of weeks. And uh, and meanwhile, the Obama administration officials around him and the DNC apparatus around him is making all the actual decisions. I mean, there's all these editorials you see today. I mean, the border border crisis, the biggest story in the country. And I've got a piece on BuckSexton.com, but I hope you will go read, go check it out on this, where I just make the case to you very clearly about how Democrats don't want this to end. They just want to control the flow better, the flow of illegal immigrants. Remember, when you cross in the United States illegally, that is an illegal act, hence the term. They are not crossing at ports of entry. They are breaking U.S. law in preparation to break U.S. law again when they don't show up for their asylum hearings or when they show up for their asylum hearings, don't get it, but then don't show up for their deportation hearing, which is actually a different thing. Think about that. The problem here is one of cause and effect. And the Democrats don't want to admit it. When you make it really appealing to people to come into the United States illegally, 
they will do it. There is a magnet. There is an enticement here. And the Democrat response to this is to actually make it more appealing. Hey, let's make sure we have great facilities, really comfortable. Everyone moves through super fast. I mean, the government doesn't even do this for people that are showing up at the DMV. But we're going to do this. We're going to make it as seamless and painless and easy as possible to illegally enter the United States under the Biden administration. That's their approach. This is what they're saying. You know how you get illegal immigration to stop? You make it so that there's not a benefit to coming to the United States illegally. That's the only way. Now, look, if people want to make an argument, if the Democrats want to say, you know what? We actually do just we do just want illegal immigration. Anybody who wants to come should be able to come. Then change the immigration laws, have elected officials actually make that the law, and then we could hold them accountable for that. But at least it will be within the process. What they do is lawlessness. It's encouraging on the one hand what they pretend to be slowing down or stopping on the other. This is because ultimately they benefit from this. They're playing a double game here, but they don't want this to stop. They don't want it to stop. They don't want to call it a crisis because of the optics. But really, it's just they didn't realize uh, how appealing it was going to be to illegal immigrants this quickly to come into the United States on the Biden administration. Why don't they tell us how many people are being sent back? Notice the lack of transparency around all of this. Why don't they tell us what the percentage is of people who show up at the border right now and are immediately told to turn around? You are not allowed entry in the United States. I mean, I don't think I could even go to Canada right now as an American. They turn me away. But if you show up at our southern border as a it's not just Central Americans, people from Pakistan, people from China, people from, you know, anywhere, Romania, who knows? They really are showing up from dozens of countries all over the world. You show up at our southern border. You are as long as the cartels are part of the human trafficking uh, you know, of these individuals, they coach them on what to say. They bring them right to the border and. They have a giant open door that they walk through. If you want this to stop, you have to enforce the law more. Why is interior enforcement way down? Why did Biden call for a moratorium on deportations for 100 days? Think about that. He comes in offices. We're not going to deport anybody for 100 days. Uh, That sounds like an administration that's preparing to grant amnesty, doesn't it? What was wrong with those deportations? In fact, they're trying to undo some of the deportations that were done during the Trump years. But they tell us the system is broken. They tell us that they they inherited. That's my favorite. They inherited a broken system. Um, and, and the reality is that people just listen to what the Democrats say. Here's the border coordinator. That's not a, not a good job to have these days. Roberta J- uh, Jacobson. Play 21. The Mexican president said the other day of the migrants, they see President Biden as the migrant president. How do you respond to that? Well, I think what uh, President Lopez Obrador is reflecting is the fact that President Biden came into office with a much more humane message, with a message that we were going to enforce our laws, but also have a humane migration system. And I think what he means is that we are going to treat people fairly. We are going to reform our immigration system. 
Um, and so while I understand what he was saying, I think that it, it's, it's not the way we would put it. It is a more humane system, but it is not open borders, and it is not the fact we're going to enforce our law. This is all, this is all doublespeak. What, uh, humane? More humane? What does that mean? Yeah, of course, we don't want to treat anybody poorly. These aren't bad people. They're not, you know, they're overwhelmingly, you know, 99 out of 100 of them are not actually a violent criminal threat of any kind. So, but what does it mean to treat them humanely? Does that mean they get to stay? I mean, I really ask. Yeah, of course, humanely means you give them food and medicine. You take care of people. We're taking people into custody just like you would if you were a prisoner anywhere else in the U.S. You have to be given, uh, you have to be given support of the state if you're in the custody of the state. But does humane mean they get to stay? Because if that's the case, then it is an open border. So this is the part of it that they won't answer because this goes to a fundamental lie the Democrats have told the American people, which is that they are not an open borders party. They are. They're just not quite there yet. A lot of the migrants coming in saying they're coming in because you promised to make things better. It seems to be getting worse by the day. Was it a mistake not to anticipate this surge? Well, first of all, there was a surge in the last two years, in in, in 19 and 20, there was a surge as well. This Um, one might be worse. No, well, it could be, but here's the deal. We're sending back people to, first of all, the idea that Joe Biden said come, because I I heard the other day that they're they're coming because they know I'm a nice guy and I won't do it. They're saying this. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. They're not. Do you have to say quite clearly, don't come? Yes, I can say quite clearly, don't come. And what we're in the process of getting set up, don't leave your town or city or community. Don't come while we're in the process of setting up. What, what is that? What, what do you mean? Hold on a second. What do you mean? Why isn't it just don't come? What you're doing is, is, not, is not within our immigration laws. If you want to go within our immigration laws, there's a whole system that people go through and you, you know, you you go to uh, the U, you know, U.S. consulate and you apply for a visa or you go and you you show up at a port of entry and there's all this paperwork. And we can we can talk about how it's Byzantine and it's crazy and it shouldn't happen this way or whatever, that it should be. You know, that that, that process could be better and more streamlined. However. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, hold on, let's get ready so that you can keep doing this. The problem that Biden has with what's happening at the southern border is not that people are gaming the immigration system in huge numbers to make our legal immigration system a joke. The problem he has is that the facilities for people are bursting and we're hitting record numbers. And it's all because there's a Democrat in office and we all know it. We know the Democrat Party's become. We all remember when Joe Biden was among them, when they when they held their hands up on stage during the uh, presidential debates during the primary. And they said they wanted to give free health care to illegal aliens. So you don't even have to be in the country legally and, and, and the taxpayers are going to pay for your health care. Not not emergency, not if somebody comes in with, you know, a gunshot wound in the shoulder because we are a kind and decent people. And of course, we're going to save someone's life. But all of your health care, I mean, you know, your health care for life. And we're going to make sure that you get everything that you need. And that was the Democrat position. Uh, which is just re- remarkable because a lot of people work very hard to try to pay their health care premiums, work very hard to try to make the, the money to be productive enough to provide health care for their families. But if you show up illegally now, the Democrats just want to give you health care. And you might say, oh, well, that maybe it'll be something like Medicaid. So it won't be the, the same health care that you used to in the private sector. Right. And then they'll complain that it's not good enough health care 
So they'll want to give them the same health care. Everyone should get the same health care, right? That's what we're actually heading toward with the Democrat Party. And as you know, that does not have that does not have the end result that they like to pretend it does. Really long wait times, rationing. We're going to have that health care discussion in this country, too. But but back to uh, immigration, the Biden administration has been in office, what, two months? And they're already I mean, they're already cornered on this as a messaging issue that they don't have anything to say about this that 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 makes any sense. I mean, all they do is essentially run around pretending like we can't actually see what we see. I mean, here's Jen Psaki play three. First, let me say that, um, like COVID, obviously a different issue, but uh, we recognize this is a big problem. Uh, the last administration uh, left us a dismantled uh, and unworkable system. And like any other problem, uh, we are going to do everything we can to solve it. Uh, so our focus here is on solutions. Let me just walk you through a couple of the steps. And we've done this a little bit, but there's always, of course, developments on um, considerations that are underway. Yeah, the solutions that don't involve telling people they can't actually come into the American interior who cross into the U.S. illegally aren't solutions. The way that this the way that you stop illegal immigration, and this really has to be said, and Democrats at some level, I think, know this, but they pretend not to. The way you stop illegal immigration is to stop illegal immigration. You have to stop people from doing this. Or else it continues. You can talk about it. You can say you want to work on the crisis. You want to do this, that, and the other thing. But ultimately, it comes down to, do they believe, do the people coming believe that they have a very good shot of being able to stay? And therefore, this is a very valuable thing. Uh, Being able to be in America in this world we live in. This is an incredible country for all of its flaws, all of its problems. We are very wealthy. We Still have some freedom left. I mean, it's been the worst year for freedom, the worst 12-month period for American freedom in my lifetime, but we still have some freedom left, and we have to actually preserve the rule of law here. You know, the, the rule of law is largely a perception-driven phenomenon. Even Orwell wrote about this uh, back in the 19, uh, 1930s and 1940s, that one thing that was amazing about an Englishman was that no matter what part of society you found an Englishman in, no matter uh, what socioeconomic strata they fell into, they had this notion, this concept of the law and that the law made things right and wrong. It, it wasn't perfect. It didn't mean that there weren't people that got away with things. And But there was an overarching idea of the law as something that is binding upon all of us and that at some level also holds us together as a people. Lawlessness erodes that. I've been telling you, and, and I know that There will be people that that would push this aside and say that it's silly or it's nonsense. I mean, I'm going to spend a lot of hours figuring out how much of my money the government is going to take from me this year. And if I don't do it, there is a real chance that men with firearms paid by the state will show up, take away my freedom, take me into court and and lock me up in a cell. Now, my little pitiful contribution to the federal treasury doesn't really matter But they'll tell you it's because of the rule of law. It's because everybody has to abide by these rules. Now, we can have a whole other discussion about whether the income tax is uh, something that should exist. But nonetheless, if we want all the goodies we have from the government, too, we we are going to have to pay for them. This is the problem. And people have decided they really want the goodies. 
But if you come into the country illegally, if you trespass on U.S. sovereign territory as a foreign national without permission to be here, uh, now you aren't uh, a problem and and you you uh, certainly should not be punished. You're actually a victim. This is the way the left is framing this. The people who are coming here illegally, they're a victim of U.S. xenophobia. They're a victim of our insufficient immigration system. It's our fault, you see, that they come here illegally because we haven't made it easy enough for them to come legally. Which then also raises the question, how many people should we take into this country legally every year? We already do about a million. Five million? Does that sound about right? Ten million? At some point, does that start to change the nature and character of the American people and the American polity? Do we cease to be a country if we have a a foreign born population that exceeds 40, 50 percent? Now, I know we're not there yet. We're not near there. But the, the country is shifting very rapidly toward an open border stance. What does this look like in 10 years? What does this look like in 50 years? Most of the rest of the world is very comfortable with the state being in much greater control than the American ethos allows for right now, although in the year of COVID, I think that's become more debatable than it has been previously. But this is really about what America what America is going to be going forward. And the Democrats are very dug in on this because ultimately for them, the prize at the end of this is they create a one party state in America. That is the ultimate prize that they are going for. And they'll figure the rest out. What does that mean for this country? What does it look like for this country? None of that matters. They'll figure the rest out. They just want to be in charge. And a political party that believes in rule of law, sovereignty, secure borders, and constitutional protection of individual rights, it's going to be gone if the open border stays open long enough. Uh, It's not broken, and it doesn't need to be fixed. Uh, Our Democratic friends use the filibuster frequently in the last uh, Congress. They were in the minority in the Senate. They took advantage of, for example, killing Senator Tim Scott's police reform bill. I didn't react to that by saying, "Okay, we'll change the rules of the Senate to get our way. Filibuster reform. Filibuster reform. That's what they're really going to go with. I mean, you you almost have to respect the brazenness, the just the sheer unbelievable dishonesty of the Democrats here. Uh, there is a system that we have, and it has been around for quite some time, and the filibuster has been in the Senate for quite some time. Democrats were willing to use it and Republicans did not run roughshod over them. They they stayed within this. I know it's a tradition of the Senate. It's not in the Constitution. I understand it's a rule of the Senate, but those rules can change. Just remember this. It was the Democrats that went with the nuclear option on judges. It was Harry Reid and the Democrats who decided that Senate tradition would have to give way because the Democrats wanted something really badly and they wanted to do something badly enough that it didn't matter that this would have eventual blowback. It didn't matter that there would come a time when the shoe would be on the other foot and the Republican Party would actually be in charge and be calling the shots 
And they would remember what the Democrats did. They would remember how unwilling to compromise uh, they were. And sure enough, this has resulted in a lot of federal judges and even Supreme Court uh, justices getting confirmed by Republicans in in latter years after Harry Reid. Remember, they pulled the trigger on the nuclear option first because Democrats are power mad statists and this is what they do right they they think that there's a a righteousness there's a religious fervor in their government policies and plans and whatever they have to do to get it done they'll do and that's what they did they pulled the trigger on the nuclear weapon so to speak of eliminating the filibuster for judicial nominees and now we're just at the precipice of them doing it Uh, this time around for any legislation that they want. And I I think the real question for them, I think I think the real challenge for them is which bill to choose to ram through with it first. You know, you've seen how they act here. You've seen how they they use they use the delay of covid aid to create a Trojan horse effect for all their other spending. Right. Oh, you know, here it's just it's just covid relief. It's it's saving America. It's covid relief. Well, no, it's payoffs for Democrat controlled cities. And, oh, I can't even begin to cover all the different money. Nine nine percent of the one point nine trillion dollars goes to actual vaccines and covid fighting. And the rest of it is money that Democrats just wanted to spend on things. And they say they might do another one. Now they're talking about a trillion dollar infrastructure package and they want to raise taxes. I mean, they they, they learn nothing here. I mean, they just. They're, they're going to take our economy and they're going to slow it down. And they're going to they're going to strangle it like a little authoritarian boa constrictor, just with the coils getting tighter around the economy's neck all the time. And they're going to say, oh, it's Trump's fault, of course, because they're irresponsible. I mean, being reckless and unaccountable is a long, a long time Democrat pastime. So. They get rid of the filibuster for what? That's the big outstanding question. Now, that's the issue that I think everybody needs to look at and and understand is is at the forefront right now. They might do it. They could do it for H.R. 1. But I don't think that's the way to go. They want to do it for something where they view their position as essentially unassailable from a PR standpoint. The optics, right, from a PR standpoint, they can probably do it on immigration and say it was necessary for humanitarian reasons. We had to give an amnesty for humanitarian reasons for uh, decency called for us to eliminate the filibuster. Of course. And as I've been telling you, if they do this and I I think that there's a chance they will now, maybe you believe Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema and some of the others uh, will hold the line against this. But think of the pressure the Democrats will bring to bear on them. Think of the ways that they will make this uh, more challenging. Right. Uh, and you can you can be a hero. Uh, you can be a hero to Democrats and get book deals and be loved forever and be celebrated on MSNBC. By going along with the filibuster reform, which, as we know, is just the nuclear option. Once again, another this is, you know, we're going from like the, you know, the fat boy bomb to now more more advanced thermonuclear devices. Right now we're getting into uh, ICBMs. 
the nuclear option hit once again, uh, they they will make this pitch, you know, and even to someone like Joe Manchin, it's it's going to be tough. Democrats have a lot of inducements. It's fun to be on the Democrat side. I mean, my friends who are Democrats, man, it's great. You get to be with all the cool people. You get to have all the media on your side, basically. All the corporations are with you. You know, everything. It's 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 great. Over. I don't know. If only I could just negate who I am and what I know to be true, it would be so much fun to switch teams, right? It'd be so much fun if I could be that kind of turncoat. And there are people who do it, but I wouldn't be able to sleep at night, and I think that's pretty important. But if they do it on immigration, the the story will be Democrats brought millions of people out of the shadows into being a part of our American family And it was necessary to get rid of this procedural obstruction. Obstructionism is, of course, a term you hear so much more frequently now. The procedural obstruction of the filibuster. It was when Democrats are in the minority, the filibuster is an essential, uh, essential bulwark against majoritarian tyranny. When Democrats are in the majority, the filibuster is stopping, you know, the filibuster in the Senate is stopping Uh, The U.S. government from from feeding babies and saving people. And, you know, that's we all see the difference. We all know how this works. We understand the way this breaks down. Um, Will they it's really I don't think it's a question of do they want to do it? It's can they get the votes to do it? Can they get the votes to then with a 50 50 Senate tie and Kamala breaking the tie pass legislation that will change America forever and will put the Republican Party on a pathway to complete irrelevancy and and political insolvency. I think when they have that opportunity, they're going to find a way to do it. I know that you received the vaccine. Mrs. Trump also got the vaccine. Would you recommend to our audience that they get the vaccine then? I would. I would recommend it. And I would recommend it to a lot of people that don't want to get it. And a lot of those people voted for me, frankly. But, you know, again, we have our freedoms and we have to uh, live by that. And I agree with that also. But it's a great vaccine. It's a safe vaccine. And it's uh, something that works. And uh, we've been working round the clock and what I got the FDA to do, this would have happened. This would have happened in many, many uh, years from now if we didn't if I didn't yes. get involved and if we didn't get involved. Now, this is the president who is saying what Democrats have been saying the president wouldn't say. And therefore, he's still to blame for vaccine hesitancy, even though he got the vaccine. He's saying on on national TV. Yes, I recommend you get the vaccine. And. The Democrats are still going to find a way to blame Trump for vaccine hesitancy when, if you recall, and I'm not going to let this go, if you recall in the previous uh, the previous administration, while Trump was still in office, you had Kamala Harris and Joe Biden both, when they were on the campaign trail, raising doubts about the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine because it was Trump's F. D-A. Remember that it was Trump's FDA. Therefore, you can't trust it. Can't trust it. Not allowed. And that was reckless. That was wrong. And that should be something that people always remember, because now you're getting these lectures from Democrats who, who want to view 
the vaccine is something that uh, that Joe Biden is responsible for. It, it's as though Joe Biden were, you know, in his lab coat, looking at slides under a microscope. I, I guess it would have to be a very specialized microscope. But you know what I mean? Trying to figure out how to do this. No. And Joe Biden, I mean, the more I see this guy just just taking a break for a moment from the the vaccine talk, the more I see Joe Biden shuffle around on camera and everything. It is unbelievable that this guy is the president of the United States. You know, there was something surreal. See, I'm honest about this. There was something surreal about Trump being president because you'd say, oh, my gosh, the, the guy from the this is like out of a movie, the guy from the Celebrity Apprentice. I mean, it, it you know, he was a celebrity who became the president. So there was a part of my brain that said this is kind of this is kind of funny or this is kind of crazy or whatever. But Trump would move around. You'd say this guy's. This guy's on it. You know, this guy's got a command presence. This guy has has a persona as is just full of energy and vitality. I mean, Joe Biden is walking around and you see him go up to the, the microphones occasionally. I mean, the most recent time we had a, a a press spray or the pool spray or whatever they call it in the White House press corps where they, you know, they get a group, a, a gaggle of reporters together to ask him one or two questions, usually like, you know, what do you think of the weather, President Biden? You go, it's a little it's a little bit cool, but a little bit not that cool. And, you know, Joe Biden's a genius. Joe Biden is amazing. I also saw this anecdote that he said that he looked into Putin's soul when he met with him and looked at him and said, you know, you don't have a soul. And Putin said, I think we understand each other. Joe Biden's lying. I mean, Joe Biden really is that guy who tells you a story to impress you. And your first thought as soon as he's done is that's ridiculous. You're lying to me. That's who Joe Biden is. The guy can't help it. This is who he is. So he's always been. He's just kind of a, a kind of a slimy salesman for Bidenness. And I mean, when this guy shuffles around and you, you see him and he just he looks Weak and fatigued and not up for this. And he sounds I mean, the whole thing. The guy's almost 80 years old, folks. And I love the 80 year olds who are listening to this. God bless you and thank you. But I don't think, you know, people that age should be president. You know, they, they should be you know revered, you know, elder members of our families and our lives. And, you know, but president at 80. Really? It's it's unbelievable. And we all that we see some early signs. And when we say decline, I'm not trying to diagnose him with any you know specific illness or anything like that. I know people walk around and they say anyone who's been around somebody who's had Alzheimer's, as I have, knows that it's it's just it's heartbreaking and it's the most it's the most serious kind of thing. So I, I really try to stay away from those, you know, I, I don't like when people start making sh- t- taking uh, cheap shots like that. You know, even if you think that Biden, when I say he's in cognitive decline, I just mean he's not as sharp as he used to be. The guy's old and he's fading, which happens to all of us. That is going to happen to everybody when they get up around that age and we can all see it. But we're not supposed to see it. I mean, this is the most incredible emperor has no clothes situation imaginable and not only that i mean the, the democrats walk around doing what what is what is aptly described um by by the left-wing journalist matt taibbi 
as Soviet style propaganda. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. But Taibbi actually actually wrote this um, about Biden. I mean, he wrote a piece in the National Interest, and it's it's excellent. Um, and, and this guy's a leftist. I mean, he hated Bush. He hated. Um, he called it the Soviet Sovietization of the American press. And one of the best parts of of his whole analysis here is that he says they can't even get comedians to make fun of Joe Biden. The comedians, this guy is a bumbling buffoon who walks around, is like a gaff factory. Okay, it's like Mr. Magoo is the president of the United States and the and the American press, I mean American comedians. You know, places like Saturday Night Live are walking around saying, "Oh, we we can't find anything to make fun of Joe Biden on." Really? The ancient guy who sniffs strange, you know, women's heads when he doesn't even know them and uh, walks around saying things that, you know, it's like clean up on aisle five every once in a while. And Biden just says, you know, calls someone a dog faced pony soldier. That guy, you can't find a way to make fun of him. I mean, I just wish Democrats would live in the real world for five minutes here. Stop believing this fantasy that is being foisted upon you by CNN and the New York Times and and Hollywood and Google and Facebook and Twitter. They're lying to you about this guy. Joe Biden is a clown and a joke. And until until a moment ago, Democrats recognized that even the Democrats knew this guy was always third string. And now he's president and we're all supposed to clap. I mean, do you remember when a few months ago Biden won the election? People were dancing in the streets because he was going to do such great things for America. Yeah, hilarious. Open up the border, raise taxes. Make sure that biological males can compete in women's sports, shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. Bow to Iran. Yeah, let's go back to the bowing foreign policy. Remember that? Bow down, beg forgiveness for all of America's sins. Other countries don't do this, but we should do this because we're so bad. Because the people that claim that America's so bad who are in charge of it, by destroying that commonality, by destroying that common history, create the grounds for reforming America in the image that they see fit. First, they have to wipe away. This is what in revolutions happens all the time. I mean, you go back to the French Revolution. There's a reason that they were changing the language. There's a reason they came up with a new calendar. And they tried to replace religion with with a church of reason. What does this all sound like? I mean, you can draw this thread of ideological similar ideological and ethical similarity from the French Revolution through the Soviet Revolution of 1917 all the way through to Democrats in their ideology and their claims today. Oh, and speaking about this, I mentioned this this piece on uh, Taibbi. I'm sorry, this piece that Taibbi wrote, who, again, might even be horrified that somebody as right-wing as me is giving him a shout-out on their national radio show, but it's a very good piece. Uh, here's, here's, a, here's one thing he says. This is about the, the making fun of Joe Biden part of this. The most Soviet of the recent efforts didn't have a classically Soviet headline, he writes. Comedians are struggling to parody Biden. Let's hope it doesn't last. This was a Washington Post opinion piece by Richard Zoglin, 
arguing that Biden is the first president in generations who might be impervious to impressionists. Zoglin contended Biden is impregnable to parody, too devoid of obvious quirks, too muted and self-effacing in his manner to offer comedians much to work with. I mean, you've got to be you've got to be kidding me, right? This this is the guy who here, here you go. This is the guy who who says all kinds of things. Why, why attack Sanders? Why, 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 you're getting nervous, man. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. I'm not sedentary. I don't, I get up and, and, and no, let, 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 let him go. Let him go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on, let's do push-ups together here, man. Let's do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take the night pizza. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the, go, you know the, you know the thing. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. I'm beginning to see why your wife left you. And he cut off a six-foot length of chain. He folded up. He said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. If you agree with me, go to Joe 30330 and help me in this fight. Yeah, no jokes to be made about that guy. Totally, totally squared away. Nothing to say about him other than what a genius he is. This is the American media today, and it is the Sovietization of the American press. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Uh, Taibbi writes, reality in Soviet news, because this guy actually spent, Taibbi spent a lot of time in Russia, actually knows this country, uh, was 100% binary with all the people either heroes or villains. 95% of most issues of Pravda or Izvestia were just names of party leaders surrounded by a list of applause words like full-hearted, wise, mighty, and courageous. And then he gives you some of the headlines in the U.S. press lately sound suspiciously like this kind of work. Biden's historic victory for America. Biden's stimulus showers money on Americans, sharply cutting, cutting poverty. That was, okay, end quote there. That was from the Washington Post. That's not a DNC press release. We're not supposed to notice that. It, it, this is... Liberal leftism today is a is the demand that you not notice. You are not allowed to see things as they are. You're not allowed to notice things. Oh, that's what's happening there. Or, oh, that's what that person's doing. It's shut up. Here's the here's the allowable narrative. And if you don't go along with it, We'll get you fired from your job. We'll shut you off from the major communications platforms. We'll ruin your reputation and we'll destroy your life. You are not allowed to notice things. Do you see any chance that maybe that guidance changes between now and the summer where you say, okay, everyone is vaccinated. The trends are looking good. We're going to open it up beyond small gatherings by the 4th of July. You know, that's that's entirely conceivable and possible that that was happening. What the president was saying is that we traditionally have at the 4th of July the kind of barbecue in the backyard, the kind of things 
that we treasure as Americans as part of our tradition. He was saying we're going to have that if we do all the things that he mentioned. If we go beyond that because we have such a low level of infection, all the better for it. I don't believe he's ruling that out, but he's saying this is at least what we're going to be able to do by the 4th of July. And I think it's a quite reasonable projection. I think Fauci is a quite delusional weirdo. That's what I think. I, I, I think Fauci needs to retire. Somebody explain this to me. So somebody explain this to me. I, I'm really curious because all, all you have to know about Dr. Fauci, in my opinion, is that with all of his reversals and his wrong proclamations, he has not upset the lockdown left one time, not once. How is that possible? How is it possible that at no stage during this pandemic that not not a single place you know, whether it was on the schools question or masks or double masks or lockdown duration or indoor dining, outdoor dining. I have never seen the the Democrat consensus in the media or in the Democrat Party turn on Fauci for a single day. How is that possible? He hasn't upset them once. Not a single time he had to say to them, you know, hey, guys, uh, turns out that, uh, you know, Shutting down schools for in-person learning uh, is actually a stupid and kind of cowardly thing to do. No, never. Never. That's because he's a little leftist bureaucrat. That's why. That is the reality. And sure enough, what we see here is him continuing to be in this role. I'm going to tell you something right now. We may have wintertime COVID in 2021. So we either decide that enough is enough or we continue to have our lives upended by this feckless little bureaucrat. Those are the choices. And I I don't know what it's going to take to get us there. We either have I thought we would get to mass civil disobedience from this idiocy much sooner than we have. And maybe still people because they're so frightened. Everyone's been so scared. I mean, if you're if you're under 50 and you have a a functioning immune system, really, if you're under 60 and you have a functioning immune system. And I'm just going to say this and I do not say this to be unkind at all. uh, Look, I've put on a lot of weight during the pandemic. I know what it's like, but also weight is a very serious risk factor for all this, too. But if you're not at substantial risk uh, based on the factors of age, weight and and the other comorbidities that can exist that that we know exist in the data. You don't have to live your life with extreme caution. You can live your life with very little caution, actually, and it's okay. And the rest of the population, uh, I, I do, I agree with Trump, I think should get vaccinated and should take those, uh, take those steps of, of additional safety. But we got to get back to normal life. But if we allow the, the little tyrant Fauci to continue to be this voice You know, okay. I mean, how much more is it going to take? You can have six people, not eight people, six people at your at your Fourth of July party outside for 30 minutes at a time. That's safe. I mean, we've seen that level of stupidity with shutting down restaurants. We had we had a curfew in New York at 10 p.m. I was chased out of restaurants like I was trying to, they caught me trying to steal a T-bone steak in my uh, in my handbag or something. Not that I have a handbag or my book bag, whatever. You get what I'm saying. 
They, they chased me out like a thief at 10 o'clock because it's the curfew time. I mean, how much dumber are we going to get, folks, before we say uh, we're just not going to listen to these people anymore? So why would this television character spend so much time on his show throwing shaded vaccines, feeding the fears of half of Republican men who say they do not plan to take it? This television character likes to say he's just asking questions. So here are some questions. Does this character think it's important to slow the spread of the virus? Just asking. Does this character care if the country reaches herd immunity to return to life and work safely? Hey, it's a question. Does Tucker Carlson really want his viewers to live? Look, this guy bemoans so-called cancel culture more than anyone on earth, but he should look in the mirror because you can't get any more canceled than dead. Oh, my gosh. Berman over at CNN. I, I, I got it. Man, don't. Don't poke the bear, man. Don't poke the sleeping dragon here. You're going to you're going to get lit up on Tucker's show and he's got about 5 to 6 times the audience you do Berman. So just slow your roll there, buddy. Oh my gosh. I, I you know, it does a part of me. It's like, okay. He wants to step into the Tucker Thunderdome by all means. But notice the way that he sets this up is it's that that Tucker is somehow being uh, reckless or dishonest by asking questions about the vaccine. Meanwhile, in reality world, there are large European countries that have decided that they're going to stop the distribution of the AstraZeneca vaccine because of blood clots. Now, let's just first say. I believe the vaccines, from what I've seen, are safe and effective and should be taken, the vaccines that are available in this country. From everything that I've read, I am not a doctor, but I can read and I can think, and it seems the vaccines are, are safe and effective for people without, real, without any major questions or downsides about that. The issue here is there are a lot of people that are saying, I'm at really low risk and I'm not coming into contact with seniors, so why should I get the vaccine? If I can't go back to normal life, which is the moronic decision that Fauci and the others have said, you got to still mask. You got to still wear a mask even after you're vaccinated. What? So 95% protection isn't enough? I got to get, what, 100% protection? A risk-free society is a nightmare. And it's not even achievable, but it's a nightmare to even try to get there and Tucker is is asking questions about the vaccine because there are things that are happening in the world that are making people wonder, well, what the heck is going on? And also, let's let's ask this question. Should children get it? From what we know, children are at almost zero risk and very unlikely to spread it. So we're going to inject everyone. How old? You know, they make two year olds mask up on planes now. Apparently, they're going to make every two year old and up get a vaccine for covid. When, I mean, how many kids have already been exposed to COVID and we have no idea and they've, they've cleared it and now they have immunity. Also understand that if we if we cave into this mentality that we have to have a zero risk profile for COVID, I, I've started to say this before, we are going, there's going to be COVID this summer. There's going to be COVID and even a an increase in cases by early next, next uh, well, late next fall, early next winter. It's going to happen. It's not going to be as bad as it was this time around. Hopefully it'll be far, far, far lower. But there will be a recurrence of COVID-19. 
we're not going to be at, all, at, at a high enough herd immunity that it's like measles where you have, you know, a handful of cases here and there and that's it. Are we going to lock down again? Are we going to do this again? We should be having these discussions. How much is too much for the efforts to slow the spread? <laughs> like the bourbon guy goes, does, does Tucker even want his audience to live? I'm pretty sure Tucker wants his fellow human beings and particular his audience to live. Yes, I, I'm pretty sure about that one. But in Europe, to give you a sense of what an unaccountable bureaucracy is like, remember, the EU is involved in making a lot of these decisions. And this country, as this country's elite media has, has a love affair with European bureaucracy. We're always led to believe, oh, if only the Democrats were in full control and didn't have these pesky Republicans around our country would run like a Swiss watch, although, of course, Switzerland is not part of the EU, but our country would run like, you know, Denmark, right? Our country would, would be this really efficient, healthy, happy place. Well, it's interesting because our country is obviously a lot larger than Denmark. And when you look at the EU, which is a, a super country in a sense, but it is in many ways similar to the U.S. in that there are states, right? There are member states of the EU. Um, the EU has been really problematic on getting people vaccinated and is way behind the U.S. In fact, well, this is from uh, Christina Hoff Summers, who is a an academic, one of these academics that's made a name for herself for herself by 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 asking questions that should be asked and trying to give honest answers to them. If you do that these days in academia, you are a rebel. You are somebody who. Well, first of all, you're not going to be in academia for very long. She's actually well now she's a scholar at AEI, but she was a philosopher. Yeah, it's like a, I didn't even know that. And sure enough, I'm telling you, you're not going to be in academia for long. And she wasn't. They had to push her out. And here's what she shared. And this is making the rounds. It's a Q&A um, about Europe's vaccines. OK, this is from Christina Hoff Summers Twitter account. Question, why haven't we been vaccinated already? Answer, because the European Commission procured vaccines centrally and wanted to show it could get better terms and lower prices, and that took time. The UK signed with AstraZeneca three months earlier than the EU, for example, so it had another three months to fix glitz, glitz, uh, glitches in production. Question, did the EU get lower prices? Answer, yes, and more deaths and longer lockdowns that cost much more than the more expensive vaccines. And there were glitches at AstraZeneca's factory in Belgium. Question, but doesn't AstraZeneca have another vaccine factory in Halix in the Netherlands? Yes, but that factory does not, does not have regulatory approval to supply Europe. Gosh, but couldn't their U.S. factory sell to Europe? Yes, AstraZeneca has 30 million unused doses in a warehouse in Ohio that it wants to send to Europe, but the U.S. does not allow it. Fair enough. I guess President Biden wants the doses for Americans. No, he bans Americans from using them, and the U.S. regulatory process will take at least a month. Oh, dear. Okay, so just roll out the few vaccines we have in Europe then. Sorry, European governments are suspending it now since some who got the jab developed blood clots. More people than would have developed blood clots in a similar population anyway? No, fewer actually. So there is no indication that vaccines caused it, according to the European Medicines Agency. 
But that's the precautionary principle for you. We don't accept any risks because this potential side effect would be worse than COVID-19. Oh, no, we are talking of fewer than 10 deaths from blood clots while delaying COVID vaccination by just a week will probably kill thousands. So we have to accept certain disease and death because you worry about a minimal risk of something that would in any case be much, much less dangerous. Yes, we just want to keep you safe. You're welcome. This is what Christina Huff Summers shared on her on her Twitter account, a Q&A about what's going on. I, I, would, I would cite exactly where it where it comes from, but I, I don't I don't know. Uh, but it's making the rounds and it's all it's all accurate on the facts. It's all accurate about what's going on right now. And that's that's really though also a snapshot in the mentality of the people that are making all these decisions. They will keep you safe. The health bureaucrats will keep you safe even if it kills you. That's really the that's really the way they they come down on this one. Sure, there's only a one in a million chance that you're actually gonna you know actually gonna get some kind of side effect that might kill you from the vaccine. We can't let you take that chance. You might get COVID and die from it in the meantime but we can't let you take that chance. That one in a million shot. The regulators won't allow it. This is what happens when you have bureaucrats, particularly a health bureaucracy, making decisions for you. People that are not accountable for you and that are not accountable to you don't care what happens to you. And this is what I think so many have forgotten in all this. Dr. Fauci, whether you live or die, does not matter to Dr. Fauci. You are just a number. You are just a statistic. Whether your business thrives or survives or fails does not matter to him. He does not care. You are just numbers on a board to him, and he's already decided for political reasons which numbers matter more. So don't ever forget this. It's happening over in Europe with the AstraZeneca vaccine, but it's also a situation that's playing out in this country right now with our lockdown policies. One thing I will say, the Washington Post did a correction. A lot of pressure was put on them, but they did a correction because they realized what they did was wrong. So now you have to find out, was it the Washington Post fault or the people that run the elections in Georgia? Because the people that run the elections in Georgia, they have to be looked at, whether it was the secretary of state or, frankly, the governor of the state. Uh, Things went on there between the presidential election, which I can tell you about, or uh, you look at the two Senate elections. That, that is such a shame that ha- that happened. Everything that you've been talking about on your show today is affected by those two seats. Those two seats are devastating that we lost. And the Republicans, frankly, were fighting for $600 versus $2,000. And that was the only ad that the Democrats took. That was a disaster. Uh, they should not have been doing that. Mitch McConnell made a tremendous mistake. He lost those two seats. It was a huge mistake. I mean, can you imagine what could be a more obvious political move than at a time of crisis when both parties have decided that there is a real need for the government to send financial assistance to people who have been crushed by government mandated lockdowns and shutdowns of the economy? Why would you want to be the party that says, well, we're going to give you less money? When you're trying to win an election. I mean, I know this is just cold, hard politics, but let's be serious about this, folks. That was disastrous. But there's really Republicans almost have like a like a fetish about how they like to pretend they care about the debt, but only at certain times. And sometimes the most inopportune moment 
is when they decide to flex on caring about the debt. That's when they decide, yeah, I'm a I'm a deficit or debt hawk. Not a good one. Not a good time to do this. Um, so Trump is right about that. Losing those two Georgia Senate seats was disastrous. It was really, really bad. That is also true. We've got that now. We're dealing with the consequence of that all the time. I told you, if we if we just maintain the Senate, you basically have gridlock, you'd have Biden, you know, shuffling around going, oh, you know, I didn't think about the thing and the corn pop guy. I talked to him and I said, hey, man, I'm going to take this chain. I got I got kids talking about the blonde hairs on my legs. I don't know why Joe Biden all of a sudden sometimes sounds like he's from some other part of the country, but he's really just an old man who yells from Delaware. It's remarkable, isn't it? Uh, But while we're all sitting around trying to figure out what we're going to do about the possibility of the elimination of the filibuster and what Democrats will get if they can get whatever they want, which is what would happen if you eliminated the filibuster, it's tough not to feel a little bit of a, a little bit of a twinge of of ouch when we think about how we lost two Georgia seats. We lost the state of Georgia in the presidential election, which is obviously really disconcerting. But then we lost two Georgia seats on the Senate. And, you know, we only had to go one for two. We'd be in pretty good shape. We lost them both. Uh, Mitch McConnell. The only thing Mitch McConnell seems to, to to do right is judges. I mean, that's it. Mitch McConnell is good on judges and everything else. It really feels like cocaine. Mitch, you don't know what you're going to get. You know what you're going to get. Oh, and, and when Trump brought up the, the phone call, remember, he had a phone call in December. And then there was the Washington Post story on that phone call in January. And somebody was an anonymous source about what Trump said on that phone call. And it was a lie. Turns out it was Georgia Deputy Secretary of State Jordan. I, I, F-U-C-H-S. I don't want to say that on producer Mark, right? That's not that's not safe. That's not radio safe. There's no way you pronounce it the way that you think you're pronouncing it. You know what I'm saying? But I, I mean, I can't. Jordan F-U-C-H-S. I can't do it, man. It's too close. It's too close to the line. I don't want to get a violation. I get it. You know what I'm saying? So we'll just say Ms. F-U-C-H-S here, uh, you know, apparently gives zero F-U-C-H-S's about being truthful. (laughs) You like that, producer Mark? Well done. I'll give it to you. Thank you. So she uh, she lied about what Trump said on the call. And now everyone's saying, why would he do that? But here's the thing you got to remember the people who really of everybody who hates Trump in some ways, the the Republic, there are Republicans who are at the top of the list because for them, the Republican Party was just always a means to an end. It's about them. It's about how it advances their interests, about how it makes them more prominent, more powerful, in some cases, even more wealthy. And Trump stuck his thumb in the eye of the establishment. There are people, I mean, there are these never Trumpers still out there for whom getting even with Trump or tearing him down was the most important thing. More important even than supporting the GOP in a bitter uh, election dispute. More important than speaking just honestly to the press about it. Oh, one more thing. Because the Trumpster uh, decided that he 
was going to call into Fox. Is he going to run again? Play 16. Well, based on every poll, they want me to run again, but we're going to take a look and we'll see. We have uh, first steps first. We have to see what we can do with the House. I think we have a very, very good chance of taking back the House. Uh, We did a great job. You know, you're going to lose from 15 to 25 seats the last time. I got involved. I worked very hard. I made tremendous amounts of of, uh, meetings, speeches, and teleconferences and everything else for 56 of them. I had 56 basic teleconferences with thousands of people on the line on each one. And what happened is we ended up winning 15 seats instead of losing potentially 25 seats. That's a big switch. And it almost cost Nancy Pelosi a job. I think we have a chance of taking back the House. I think we have a chance to do better in the Senate. Uh, We need leadership in the Senate, which, frankly, we don't have. Uh, We need better leadership in the Senate. Uh, You have a good chance to take back the Senate. And, frankly, uh, uh, we'll make our decision after that. Not, Not throwing his hat in, not saying he won't. Get ready for more of that. Let me ask you about Governor Cuomo of New York. I know you said you want the investigation to continue. If the investigation confirms the claims of the women, should he resign? Yes, I think he'd probably end up being prosecuted, too. But you, how about right now? You've said you want the investigation to continue. You saw uh, Chuck Schumer, Senator Schumer, Senator Gillibrand, majority of the congressional delegation don't think he can be an effective governor right now. Can he serve well, effectively? Well, that's a judgment for them to make about their state where they can be effective. Here's my position. that has been my position since I wrote the Violence Against Women Act. A woman should be presumed to telling the truth and should not be scapegoated and become victimized by her coming forward, number one. But there should be an investigation to determine whether what she says is true. That's what's going on now. That's a different standard than what they tried to use to destroy Brett Kavanaugh. I want to be very clear about this. And I haven't forgotten that, and I certainly haven't forgiven that either. The attempted character assassination of Brett Kavanaugh was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in American politics. And it's something that I will never forget because it really showed the true nature and character of the Democrat Party, that they were willing to subvert decency and truth and fairness and honesty in the name of those things. Uh, Really almost satanic in the approach. I mean, just take what is good and virtuous and true and flip it upside down and act like you've done everybody a favor. Uh, It was awful what they did to Kavanaugh, but it is fascinating now to see how they recognize this is not a standard that you can actually keep. I mean, you you cannot have a believe all women standard because for one, just like men, women are capable of lying. And also beyond that, um, just like everything else, people need to have their due process rights. Right? People need that they're entitled to that. And there's a reason why even in English common law, I mean, you can take this back a very long way and you find out that this is, this is an essential foundational concept for a free society. Because otherwise we're all just subject to destruction at the whims of those who have ugly motives. Now that all said, Yeah, I think Cuomo did the things that he's accused of doing. I think it's interesting that Biden says that he may be prosecuted. 
because our, our terminology around these things, or the way we'll talk about the Cuomo allegations, uh, as people will say that, well, it's sexual misconduct. Yeah, that, that spans a very wide array of things. That The sexual misconduct could, could cover a whole lot of territory. So it's so broad, it's so vague, it's so nonspecific as to be uh, sometimes not very useful in, con- in, in discussions about this, right? Sexual misconduct, is that an unwanted comment or is it groping somebody? And I think you see how this can, this can expand, this can get much, you know, th- this can be a problem when, when you have someone like Biden say that, you know, Cuomo could be prosecuted. I mean, I, I haven't heard of any criminal conduct. Maybe there's one woman who says that he kind of like grabbed her a little bit. I don't think he groped her in a private area. He grabbed her on the back or something to take a photo. I mean, well, you're going to send someone to prison for this? I mean, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, grabby uncle at every wedding they've ever been to or something is going to go to prison. You don't go to prison for that. Inappropriate behavior from a boss is something that the boss should either get fired for or have to step down for. But to say that this is criminal, look, and you know, I'm no I'm no Cuomo fan, but I do see something going on here. I think he's guilty of the harassment, the comments. I think he's a gross guy and he's a bully. In fact, here it even gets worse. This was really interesting. Cuomo's vaccine. I want to return to this point, but first you have this at The Guardian. Cuomo's vaccines are pleased to support governor, uh, pleased to support governor, raise ethical concerns. This was just a couple of days ago in The Guardian, a British paper, but same idea. The coronavirus vaccinations are for the New York governor. Andrew Cuomo made appeals for political support for the embattled politician prompting ethical concerns, according to multiple media reports on Sunday. New York's vaccinations are longtime Cuomo aide Larry Schwartz reportedly pivoted in at least one telephone conversation with a county executive from a discussion of vaccination policy directly uh, to an appeal for support for Cuomo. Schwartz has denied mixing political and policy calls or acting improperly. Uh, so I just want to know that's that's how serious things have gotten here for Cuomo, that now it's it's even it's it's credible that somebody acting on Cuomo's behalf may have been pushing for, hey, you know, nice vaccine program he got there. It's a shame it's something that happens to it if you don't support Cuomo. You know, it's, it's fascinating that this is what we've come to. And I know that they deny it, but the fact that it's even believable about this guy just goes to show you what a bully he is, uh, what a what a jerk he is, and just a just a bad guy all around. Um, but then there's the other part of me with this whole thing, and and I gotta say this: they're f- so dug in, they're so focused on uh, on taking down Cuomo on the issue of of harassing women in my opinion because they don't want to focus on the nursing home disaster now why is that well it's because the nursing home disaster goes to democrat policy the nursing home disaster is something where you'd have to say hold on a second it's not only just new york that did this also new jersey's governor murphy not quite to the same extent but made a similarly egregiously stupid and possibly lethal, likely lethal decision. 
And we were told at the beginning, I remember when it was the red states that were going to get hit by COVID and not the blue states. You remember that? People were actually saying that all over the place. Oh, the red states, takes, they don't take science seriously. So it's the blue states that are going to be doing really well because they listen to the science. And now we've seen what are the worst states for COVID? We've run the experiment for the full year. What are the worst states per capita for COVID? New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. These are the worst states for COVID. Isn't that interesting? Uh, what do all the what do all those states have in common? Pennsylvania's right up there too, uh, but what do all those states have in common? Mm-hmm. Not Republicans in control, not people who are mask deniers running the health board or the local government. But they don't want to pay attention to that. Here's the problem for Democrats: uh, not only do they want to avoid the public figuring out how wrong they were about COVID because it's a bad look for it. When I say wrong about COVID, I mean about lockdowns and mask restrictions and all these other things. That's a bad look. They just feel silly, look stupid. They want to keep the power to do this going forward. They won't go into a full-on lockdown in these states, but they will try to have restrictions. You know, they'll, they'll go back to, they love this. Oh, you can't have 100 people in your restaurant, you know, only 75. Or you can't have... You know, 10 people in this room, only eight. You know, they're, they're going to start. This is their new the new world. They think we're all living in where bureaucrats for your health can make whatever arbitrary, annoying restriction on you that they feel like. And all in the name of covid-19, all in the name of saving you from a virus. They're not going to give that up. They're, they're not going to say enough's enough of that. And so that's why they can't allow the narrative around Cuomo to be that he's a disaster on the nursing homes. It's all about the sexual harassment stuff because they also are all patting themselves on the back for saying, oh, look, we're doing stories on him. We've uncovered the sexual harassment, don't you see? We've uncovered the sexual harassment. Whereas on the other side of it, they were holding him up as the paragon of COVID fighting virtue. And that whiplash for the public may be too much. That shift in thinking might actually settle in with some people and they realize, hold on a second, the media lied to us. The media were wrong about this guy in a profound way. And they should lose credibility. They should be held to account for this as well. Well, the chief proponent of this, and, 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 and forgive me, this is just objective truth. The chief proponent of this recall petition uh, supports uh, putting microchips into migrants, uh, into immigrants. Uh, the other proponents, the chief, the top 10 proponents, the people that are behind this are members of the three percenters, the right wing militia group, the Proud Boys supported the insurrection, uh, are folks that quite literally, enthusiastically support QAnon uh, conspiracies. And so that's the origin here. Now, as it relates to the people that signed this petition, it just takes uh, one quarter of people that supported Donald Trump to put a petition uh, on the ballot, or rather a recall on the ballot. We're one of just 19 states in the country that allows this process, but we have the lowest threshold in America. And of course, you're all very familiar. Uh, we had a recall not too many years ago in 2003. And so, Whoopi, it goes to your original question. Am I worried about it? 
of course I'm worried about it. The nature of these things, the up or down question, the zero sum nature of the question is challenging and it's vexing. And so, you know, we're, we're taking it seriously. I, I have to do my job every single day, but I'm going to fight this thing because I'm going to fight for California values and the things I hold dear. And I think the vast majority of Californians, regardless of their political stripes, hold dear. He's going to fight for California values while he makes sure that he just looks so suave and in command and control. Gavin Newsom out in California. I'm going to fight for your California values, baby. This guy, I swear, it's amazing. Yeah, the Proud Boys uh, and the Three Percenters. I thought isn't the, one percenter is a reference to like biker gangs that are outlaw biker gangs. Well, I don't even I don't even know what a three percenter is. But anyway, a proud the Proud Boys, right wing militias in California are the reason that that he's facing a really serious recall effort. That's what we're told. This is what this guy. This is what this guy's trying to sell. It's not the tents all over the streets of Los Angeles and uh, the massive homeless crisis and the poop on the streets and the the dirty needles and all. it's not any of that in San Fran in Los Angeles oh no it's not incredibly high taxes with very low government accountability because the state government is entirely in the hands of democrats it's not the widening gap between the coastal elites and all their servants and and you know cooks and and the people that are doing all the you know menial tasks for them every day who live more in the interior of the state you know you have extreme wealth for a mile or two hugging the coast all along California and then you go into the interior and in, and especially in the urban areas it gets more and more poor and you know people are voting with their feet we all see what's happening you are witnessing the collapse of the blue state welfare first model. You are seeing the the you know the the Venezuelaization, if you will, from a, from the perspective of the the extremely rich and the extremely poor. I mean, you're seeing a a, a kind a quasi socialist state in action in some of these places. Like California is a great example of it, because you have the ultra rich who are. And now, of course, Venezuela is all collapsing into anarchy, but you still have some very, very rich people in Venezuela and you have a whole lot of very, very poor people. Um, But, you know, Latin America has long been defined by an incredible elite of wealth. That's one that's sort of one strand, one band of society. And then you go below that and people are desperately poor, you know, really poor, not poor by our standards, really poor. Well, what you see in, in California is that people are realizing, hold on a second. I can do my job, I can work in my industry, or maybe I'll just switch industries and live in Idaho, live in Texas, live in Florida with much lower taxes, much higher quality of life, and I don't have, you know, quite the same amount of, you know, transgender sports ideology indoctrination in the local public schools. I mean, it's not quite as left wing in, in a lot of these places as it is in California. And people are saying they've had enough. And uh, by the way, to the Californians listening, I know we have a big audience in California. We've got KEIB in Los Angeles and we've got people listening in, in Sandy, uh, KFMB in San Diego. And, you know, to the people that, that are in California who listen to this show, I just say, you know, I, I feel... I feel your pain. I do, though. I do feel your pain because I'm in New York. It's the same thing here. 
We're at the losing end of this proposition of the great migration that's going on. We're at the losing end of what's actually happening in America today at the state level. People, I don't I don't want to keep paying a big chunk of my income to state and local government to live in New York City. I mean, I'm just going to say that I don't want to keep doing it. And then you say, Buck, why don't you move? Well, I, I, I have, you know, I have obligations here for work and I got I'd have to set up things to do remote. And it's it's not as simple for me as it would be for some other people. My two brothers have already moved. They're in Florida. They're not coming back. They're gone. They, by the way. W.I.O.D. Miami, you've got two Sexton brothers down there, so take good care of them, okay? You got two of the Sextons, and you might have more. Right? Producer Mark. Producer Mark likes Miami from what I understand, right? I do enjoy South Florida quite a bit, yeah. Yeah. So for the W.I.O.D. listeners, you've already got almost half of the Sexton family down there, and you may, you may get more Sextons yet because they're loving it. They love, they love the people. They love the food. They love the weather. And they definitely love the zero state income tax. What's the pitch? Why move to New York or, or, or California right now? And remember, those are the two blue strongholds. The representation, the day-to-day representation of the Democrat model for American life is what you see in New York and in California. And Los Angeles and, uh, and New York City are obviously the two biggest cities, the two biggest representations of that. And they're disasters right now. I mean, they're just, they're just in a spiral. And a lot of it's really being held together with, you know, spit and scotch tape at this point, the real estate market. I just spoke to a real estate broker yesterday here in New York, and she said, everyone's pretending like things are getting better. She told me it's really not because people haven't come back. So they're keeping demand artificially low by not listing a lot of properties, a lot of rentals, a lot of sale properties, uh, for sale properties that should be on the market because they realize if everyone sees what's out there, prices are going to collapse. I mean, that's what we're facing in New York. I can't speak to what's going on in California. Some KEIB listeners can tell me. But we're talking about, about the creation of artificial scarcity in the housing market so that the housing prices don't go down 30 or 40%. And, and I think, you know, you could see that in these cities. And if that happens, then you get into a whole downward spiral because people start leaving, tax base flees, can't pay the obligations you have, city government starts to shrivel up. You get into real problems. And people have said, well, Buck, but look at California and New York in the 90s, the early 2000s, huge success stories. I mean, to me, growing up as a kid watching movies as much as I did and everything else, California in the 90s was like paradise. You know, late 80s, early 90s. It just, you know, you just wanted to be in California and Los Angeles, San Diego. I grew up thinking I like New York a lot, but God, that's where people really have it made. Now those people are fleeing. They're showing up in Austin. What's up, KLBJ? They're showing up in Austin and saying, hey, you guys got room for us here? And of course, the conservatives in places like Texas are saying, can you please not inflict your big government, big, big state policies here that ruined where you came from can you just do us that favor can you do us that solid i think that's an entirely reasonable ask however i can't promise you that that's gonna that's gonna stick i think we're all seeing what's actually gonna happen here and it's the blue states are gonna bleed over into the red states ain't no party like a team buck party because a team buck party don't stop it's time for roll call Time for the roll call, everybody. 
Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And let's get right into all the latest here. Uh, oh, make sure you go check in at BuckSexton.com. We got a piece up there on why the Democrats don't really want this border crisis to stop. They want to leverage the border crisis. They want to use it for their own purposes. Um, and so there's that. And then I'm also trying to find a new show that I can really get excited about. I'm watching this show, Broad Church, producer Mark, which is, I mean, it's it's about a murder of a, of a kid, but then it's like a murder mystery, but then it kind of keeps going. It's very well acted, but very depressing. Do you have anything happy for me to watch? Happy for you to watch? Huh. Uh, did I tell you about Ted Lasso? No, what's Ted Lasso? Uh, Ted Lasso is probably one of the best comedies I've seen, honestly. Uh, I think I have told you about this. It's um, the guy from SNL, Fred, Ar- no, not Fred Armisen, uh, Jason Sudeikis, I believe is his name. He k- plays a soccer coach who has only ever coached American football before. And he goes over to coach a Premier League soccer team because the new owner of this team wants to get back at her ex-husband and hire the worst coach possible. And he ends up being great and they win the league. I mean, this sounds I mean, spoiler alert, but that's okay. Sorry, this actually I mean, sounds this actually sounds right up my alley. So where do I watch this? This is on Apple TV. <sighs> it's just an app. It, you, you don't have to buy uh, any unit or anything. It's just like uh, it's like Netflix. You just get an. Oh, app. really? Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. Didn't you just buy a new TV? I did just get a new yeah, TV. Th- there's no chance that the uh, a smart TV does not have. You can't ha- download the Apple TV app. Yeah, I think it's got it's got to work now, right? Yes. I mean, come on. Yeah. I can. I, I, I've also I've been looking for something to really zone out to. So I used to be all about Call of Duty on the PlayStation 4 platform, which that's right. I, I've gone. The, the pandemic has pushed me back into video games. I cannot I cannot tell a lie. Um, now I've been playing this game called Bloodborne, which is actually quite fun. It's about five years old, but it's a really good game. I've heard of it. Yeah, not yeah, up my alley because like, it doesn't. It's like a ball. you know, monster and zombie fighting and stuff. But if you really want to turn, I just can't handle anything that's about like news or you know the in- intelligence community or law enforcement. Like it's all very stressful right now. So, so you know, fighting fighting werewolves yeah. is only stressful if you're actually fighting a werewolf. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Now might be a great time for you to get into Harry Potter then. Um, I'm right now I'm working my way through yet another book on the uh, Hannibal, the Punic Wars, as well as another Stalin biography. I'm on my second Stalin biography right now because I feel like it's a good time to learn a bit more about uh, totalitarianism and the destruction of all freedom producer, Mark, because I think uh, it's a good thing to know about in America right now. That's all I'm going to say. It's a little little worrisome. My eyes start drooping and getting closed when you start talking about books you're reading. Yeah, I know. This is, you know what? I, I do my, uh, my my Quake Media show with Mark Lamont Hill. We do a little, just a little uh, video cast over the weekend together. And he refers to some of my history interests as my, quote, nerd stuff. And yeah. I, it's not untrue, but it is what it is. I so I to, do. to each his own. You love history. I respect that. It just bores me. Yeah, no, I, I know. Really, if I could just sort of pick something, although I love coaching soccer, actually, which is kind of funny. I coached high school soccer for a season. But if I could just pick something to do, that would be a lot of fun. I, I think being a history professor would be fun. Oh, I actually do have something for you, though. Oh, it'll be, I don't know if you like this. Netflix has a couple of history-based series that I really recommend to people. One is on 
the uh, it's basically 16th century Japan, the samurai warlords called the daimyo fighting each other for dominance of the Japanese main uh, well Japanese island. And it's really, really well done. I actually know Michael Oslin, who is a scholar at the uh, what's that place called? The Hoover Institute. Um, he's one of the guys who does the voiceover and analysis, but they do pretty well. It's pretty good reenactments and stuff. So it's well produced. And there's also one on pirates and the golden age of pirates in the early 1700s, which is a fascinating period. It's actually something I've, I've read a bit about on my own as well. And, you know, producer Mark, this is I think people should know that, you know, the reason people always think like, where does pirate language come from? Pirate language is actually English from Southern England slang for, because the, the original sort of famous pirates were in the British. They were either British privateers in the British Navy. Largely, though, they're British pri privateers. What happened was that the British to fight against the Spanish, this, you know, the Spanish, which were they were the, the great empire of the time. The British kind of supplanted them. Uh, but to, to fight against them, they commissioned privateers, which is just a fancy way of saying pirates that the state says are OK. Right. So if you're a British privateer, you can go attack any Spanish stuff you want. So the British were like, we got this great idea. We're going to get a free Navy effectively to fight against the Spanish by calling them privateers. But what they actually made were pirates, because when the war ended with Spain, these guys are all our matey and they're used to plundering and fighting. And now they're told, yeah, well, that's now illegal. You can't do that anymore. And they're like, actually, we can. Right. Half the audience right now is into this and really loves what you're saying. And the other half is me. Fair enough. All right. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And if you want to get into it, send us a message there. Chris, first up here in Roll Call. Hey, Buck and Bruce and Mark. Great job, guys. Thanks for always giving us the truth, whether we want to hear it or not. Great job exposing the terrible Colorado governor. Um, I heard you say you've never been to Colorado. Please visit. Oh, this guy told me about the beer. I'm sorry. We did that one yesterday, but that's all right. It was a great one, Chris. We appreciate it. Corey. Buck, I'm in McKinney, Texas, and the mask mandate has been lifted a few days now, but most are the, of the businesses are still posting signs to wear masks. I do not wear a mask and I'm not harassed, but I was shocked at the large majority that are still wearing masks. I just don't get it. I mean, Corey, I, I as soon as I can get away, you know, when I say get away with it, I mean, not be physically escorted out of the premises. I'm going to stop wearing a mask. I think this is I think the data on this is clear. I know people don't want to believe it, but look at mask mandates, look at caseloads in places all over the country. And their their only real answer for it, Corey, is, oh, but people weren't obeying the mandate. I'm here in New York City. People wear masks outside, overwhelmingly outside. Never mind in, inside. If you walk into an indoor establishment in New York without a mask on it, it, someone it's like they're going to tackle you to the ground and hold you until, you know, the SWAT team can arrive. They lose their minds. So trust me, people are obeying these mandates, the mandates. I'm sorry. The mandates worked maybe one percent. That's the CDC's data. You you were stifling your own breath and breathing in, you know, your own whatever the whole time, because I got to tell you, sometimes you remember what you had for lunch because of what you got in the, in the mask. I'm just saying it's happened. You were doing all of that because it might have reduced cases over a 60 day period. One percent. Well, if one percent declines, 
in a widespread malady justify whatever intervention, as Fauci calls it, the government wants to do. Freedom is dead in this country. So just remember that. Oh, Corey goes on. Also, the local school district is requiring students age 10 plus to wear masks at school. When I'm questioned, the reason I received the same following the science BS. Oh, rather, when I questioned the, the reason I received the same following the science BS. Local elections are in May for my community. I used to not care about the city mayor or school board members, but I care now. Well, Corey, yeah, the good news is I think for a lot of people, they become more engaged in politics at a local level. I think there, I think there's a greater recognition now that you can you can avoid caring about your school district for only so long. But if you got kids, eventually your school district's probably going to care about you unless you're going to put them in private school or parochial school. And that matters. It matters to people. And the fact that we're masking up all these kids in school. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, God. David writes, Buck, I'm a faithful listener here in Austin, Texas. What up, KLBJ fam? Don't think it's time to bring up articles of impeachment on Biden for endangering national security with the border. Oh, sorry. I keep misreading you guys, your roll calls, guys. Don't you think it's time to bring up articles of impeachment on Biden for endangering national security with the border fiasco? Democrats began impeachment proceedings against Trump the day he was in office on fabricated charges. The immigration disaster of Biden is real. Therefore, he should be impeached. OK, uh, David, I, I get where your head's at on this one. First of all, thank you for being a faithful listener in Austin. And I may be in Austin next month as part of a plan that I'll be telling you more about here. And producer Mark, I'll tell you more about it offline. But I may be in Austin for a day or two next month. So I might finally be able to do that whole, hey, Team Buck, come hang out with me at the best barbecue place in Austin. And you'll have to tell me what that is. And hopefully we can all just sort of go in there and eat meat and drink booze and hang out. Uh, you know, if, if two people show up, great. If 50 people show up, well, we'll make room. So as for articles of impeachment, if you're going to do that, and I, I agree that impeachment articles now have been uh, have been really in a place where they're a, a weapon in politics. It's not really a good faith thing anymore. It's, is this useful for my side? That's what impeachment is all about. And given that that is what impeachment is all about, I think the question that becomes, what is the issue that you choose to move on against somebody like Biden? I don't think the border is the one to do it on. Um, because what exactly, you know, we're going to try to get him on dereliction of duty. You're talking about a straight party line situation and Democrats have a majority in the House and the Senate. So remember, when Democrats were doing their impeachment nonsense against Trump, they controlled the House so they could sort of do the show trial thing. Even, you know, even though they knew it was going nowhere in the Senate, they got to control the rhythm of things in the House and get all that you know, P PR and nonsense BS mileage out of it. We would be in a situation where you could you couldn't even bring it forward right now. So you got to take back the house, David, taking back the house. You got to take back the house or else we can't actually you probably you don't even know what talking heads are. Do you, producer Mark? The term talking heads? Yeah, I do. No, the band. Oh, no, no clue. <sighs> Bring in down the house. Uh, all right. Anyway, I, I can only imagine they're not good if you like them. That uh, makes me sad. More roll call. We got Gina, who never likes to be Mina. She's Gina. 
A uh, personal story about the kids suffering in the lockdowns due to a family crisis. I took in my grandkids, a boy and a girl, 11 and nine at the time in November 2019. We've always been close. We got them registered, started school in three days. It was awesome. I was able to shift to work from home and I was up every morning cooking breakfast again and getting them off to school. My grandson was in karate and my granddaughter in STEM. Then came March 2020. All school now online. For three months, it was pathetic. 45 minutes a day, no plan. But we soldiered on through summer. Then August came and school was still online. Better at 4.5 hours or so, but I was seeing different kids. They began to fight, sitting at the same dining room table and began wandering the house every five minutes. My grandson was in karate, but in my small living room and was frustrated. STEM for Sophia was canceled. By December, our frustration growing, we asked for a break, and the kids went to stay with their aunt for a few days in Texas. After four days, they decided they wanted to stay because they can go to school. They're thriving, loving school, being with their friends and in-person learning. I miss them. But the moral of the story, what this is doing to children, to their families, is incomprehensible. I think we will see ramifications from this travesty for years, maybe decades to come. Sorry so long. Wanted you to know we're real people with real heartache. Shields high. Well, Gina, I absolutely know that. And I appreciate you writing in and sharing your story. And I, I can guarantee you there are a lot of people listening to this that have very similar situations all across the country. I guarantee you there are a lot of people that are hearing this and saying, oh, my gosh, I've had the, I've had similar stuff with with my kids or even if you're dealing with the grandkids, whatever it may be. So the decision to shut down schools was not rooted in science. It was disastrous. It was wrong. And that Democrats will not undo their wrong decision is just stubbornness, vanity, and selfishness. That's what this is now. It's the teachers' unions, you know, making sure that they pull the strings of the Democrat Party. It's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. All right, Alex, next up here. Hey, Buck and Mark, as a former Marine... The recent events regarding Tucker Carlson and the DOD turn my stomach. That said, I believe the entire dust up is a purposeful distraction. As I've stated in previous notes to you, I think Obama is running this show and he is an expert at division and distraction. The borders in chaos. They're spending us into oblivion and lawlessness is on the rise across the country. Why the heck is anyone talking about flight suits for pregnant women? A total distraction. Look over here while we burn and pillage. Disgraceful. Stay in the fight. Semper Fi. Alex, thank you for your service, sir. Thank you for writing in. And absolutely, the Democrats are engaged in a lot of efforts at distraction. And they've got, remember, the media is not just complicit. I mean, the media is co-located with them. It's cohabitating with them. It's, it's right next to them. The media is the Democrat Party, and the Democrat Party is the media. So whatever they have to do to help Biden, whatever they have to do, uh, is the most, you know, the, the single most important outcome of their day. And that's how they view all this. Mark writes, hey, Buck, after being censored on social media and about pulling my hair out every time I flipped on the local news, only to hear the same garbage for months on end, I decided to flip through some stations on my way home from work one day a month or so ago to see if there was something to listen to that would make sense of what we've been experiencing in our nation for the last year. Well, lo and behold, what I heard was absolutely amazing. A hilarious impersonation of Fauci, followed up by some amazing commentary about the ridiculousness of our times, masks, lockdowns, liberal takeover. I'd never even heard of you before, but now I'm a regular listener of your podcast using the Stitcher app. I eagerly look forward to your impersonation of Fauci, Biden, Pelosi, Cuomo and others, as well as your insights. If Cuomo got an Emmy for being an idiot, you should definitely get one for the best political voiceover work. 
Keep up the great work. There are many like myself that are on your side. We just get busy with the day to day as regular workers in this great country. Don't have the time to sit around and be as vocal as those on the left. Shields high. Well, Mark, that is a really, uh, really kind and, and fantastic note. Thank you so much. Great to have a new member of Team Buck. Honored that you're listening and you're enjoying what we do here. And just a reminder, folks, I mean, Mark is an example of what I'm talking about. People hear this show and then this becomes the show they listen to. Uh, I make no bones about it. I think this is the best show of its kind out there right now. There are other very good shows, and I respect those folks. I think this is the best show. So I hope you'll listen. I hope you'll spread the word about it. And until tomorrow, friends, Shields High.